Um, by the way, I'm, I'm coming back Thursday, Bez Hashem. So from Friday on, I'll be back to in shul regular, uh, regular schedule. Um, I'm going to have to figure out Tisha B'Av. Uh, most likely it'll be Sunday night, Matzei Tisha B'Av. I'll give the daf then. Obviously, you can't do the daf on Tisha B'Av. So, and you can't do it before Tisha B'Av because it's Shabbos. So we'll do it Matzei Shabbos, Bez Hashem. Matzei Tisha B'Av. All right, we're up to Chavav Amid Bey, seven lines from the bottom. So I want to review because uh, we started, we didn't really get into it. The Mishnah described that if a woman, let's assume, like most Rishayinim, that where the Mishnah it was dealing with a, a wife of a Kayin. The wife of a Kayin, if she is attacked, she's Pasal Kahuna. She's, uh, she's not allowed to stay with her husband, even if she was raped, it doesn't matter. So the Mishnah was dealing with, if a woman is taken captive, when do you assume that she was, she was uh, uh, attacked? So the Mishnah said, if she was attacked, if she was captured for money... You mean even if she wasn't raped? No, 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 only if she was raped. What do you mean? Oh, only if she was raped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. I use the word attack just because it's a, it's a nice illusion. But I mean, when I say attacked, I mean raped. So, so... Okay. Yeah, so if, if she was... So the question is, how do you know what happened? So the Mishnah said, if she was captured for money, meaning for ransom... You could assume they didn't touch her. They wouldn't uh, rape her because they wouldn't want to... They, they know she's going to be returned and they know that they're trying to get money. So they, they wouldn't they wouldn't do that. But if she was attacked, if she was captured for life and death, which the Gemara is going to explain what this means, if she was captured for um, life and death purposes, then you have to assume that she was uh, she was uh, violated and attacked. So the 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 commission the Gemara said like this Um Ravudamarav Ravudamarav said that this halacha that a woman that is captured for money is not going to be touched is only true if the Jewish people are in charge of Eretz Yisrael. However, if the Goyim are in charge, then they don't care. Then you have to assume that she was violated even Meaning, if the Gaim are in charge, then no matter why she's captured, she's Pasal Kahuna. Okay. That was the last thing the Gemara said. So now we're going to pick it up from Akasha. We started the Kasha yesterday, but I want to redo it. Masiv Rava, Rava asked Akasha. Heyid Rav Yaisi Akayin Rav Zechayib and Akatsev. Rav Yaisi Akayin Rav Zechayib and Akatsev testified, Al Bas Yisrael Shohur Hana Be'eshkalin. That there was a, a Jewish woman. She was married to Akayin, according to Menor Yishayinim. And she was given over as collateral. Now, this is like being captured, but it's actually worse. You see, because when, when a woman is captured for ransom, there is, at the end of the day, a fear of touching her a little bit, because you want to try to, you know, you want her family to ransom her. If the family puts her up for collateral, that's already, um, that shows you what they think of the person. It's more likely that they would be uh, that they would be harmed. Okay, so the halacha was that there was a woman who was who was um, who was given over as collateral, and they couldn't pay, so she was captured. So the family didn't want to go near her because they were afraid that she was violated when she was taken captive. According to the most Rishonim, what this means is. The witnesses, there were witnesses, but these were puzzle edus, let's say a slave, a woman, okay. They testified two things. They were the ones who testified that she was given up as collateral, but they were also the ones who testified that she was not harmed. So this is an example of Pesha Asar, Pesha Hitter. 
in the same testimony, meaning we only know that she was given up as collateral because of these witnesses. They were the only ones who, were, I guess, were aware of it. But they were also the ones who testified that she was not harmed. So it's Pesha, Asar Pesha Hitter. So what was the halacha? The Chacham said, Meaning, if you're going to believe that she was taken collateral, you have to believe that she was not harmed. Meaning, she is still kosher kahuna. Okay. Because of Pesha Asa Pesha Hitter. What's the question? Now, this took place in Ashkelon. Ashkelon at that time was run by Goyim. We just got finished saying that when it's run by Goyim, even if a woman is captured for monetary concepts, she will be violated. So over here, this is an example of Ashkelon, which was run by Goyim at the time, Ukitani, and yet it says, go to the beginning of Chazayinam and Aleph, Hurhana in Nech The implication is that she requires witnesses to become permissible dafka because it was collateral, meaning... Collateral is the worst case, because collateral, the family gave her up willingly. The implication is that it's only a problem, meaning, if there were no witnesses, a Peshasa Pesha Hitter, we would say that she was violated, which works well, even though it was monetary. I, I thought by money they don't touch the women. The answer is, this is a case where the Goyim are in charge. So far, so good. Here's the problem. The case over here was collateral. The Gemara is implying that it's dafka collateral where they'll harm the woman when they're in charge because collateral, the family's giving up the girl. But if it was a case of ransom, it would not be a problem. See, here's the issue. We got finished saying at the end of yesterday's daf that by ransom, by money, in a place where the goyim are in charge, they will attack the woman. This Gemara says the exact same thing, that if not for these witnesses, they would attack the woman. And this was money. So far, so good. Here's the problem. This is not a case of ransom. This is a case of collateral. So the Gemara, the Gemara understands that it's Dafka collateral, where the family showed no interest in protecting the woman, where the, the, the Goyim will attack her. But if it was just a case of regular ransom, not collateral, they wouldn't touch her. So the question is, we got finished saying... That when it's money and the goyim are in charge and it's collateral, they're going to attack her. But over here, it said the exact same thing. It said they're going to attack her and it's money, if not for witnesses. But over here, it's not collateral. I'm sorry, over here, it's not ransom. It's collateral. So we got finished saying that in all cases, they'll attack the woman if the goyim are in charge. But over here, the goyim are in charge and they will attack her. But it's not a case of collateral where the family gave her up. The implication is, had it not been collateral, had it been a standard case of ransom, they would not touch her. So that, that's the question. It's a very subtle question. So the Gemara answers no. The Gemara answers no. Really, the halacha would be the same of whether it's collateral and whether it's ransom in all scenarios. If the Goyim are in charge, they will attack. Why over here did it mention collateral? Because that's just what the case was. Meaning, we thought that the fact that it said collateral was dafka collateral, but had it not been collateral, had it been a case where she was ransomed, they wouldn't touch her. And that's why dafka said collateral that they'll touch her. The answer is no. Collateral, ransom, is all the same. It just happened to be the case was collateral. The Gemara now says a slight alternative. 
Um, the Gemara says, Ikadamri, some have a slight different back and forth. That Omar Rava, Rava said, Afa Instead of it being a kasha, it was actually a raya. Right? The kasha was because it assumed that collateral and and um, and ransom are different. And over here, this version, it has the exact same back and forth, but instead of a, a kasha, it's a raya. The Gemara says, We have a raya. There was a woman who was taking collateral in Ashkelon, and the family distanced her. But there are witnesses that said that she's fine. You have to accept the witnesses. And the Gemara says, again, this in this version, it's a raya, not a kasha. Over here, you see that the family, that the girls would have been attacked, even though it's monetary, because the Gaim are in charge, it's exactly what we said yesterday, and we assume there's no distinction between collateral and ransom. And the Gemara says, no, it's not a raya, it could be, they'll attack when there's collateral, but if it was a woman taken captive, they wouldn't they wouldn't touch her. So it's not a riot. Okay. Some have one more different version, and that is instead of listing Rav Yehuda or Shmuel Bar Yitzchak, right? We said in yesterday's Mishnah that they will not touch a woman if she was taken for ransom. But then Rishmuel Bar Yitzchak says that's only true if the Jews are in charge. If the Goyim are in charge, they will touch. And then hence it led to this discussion. So the Gemara, the Gemara understands, the Gemara says like this. Bring the shades down, it's a little sunny over here. Myself. So the Gemara says like this. Some, instead of bringing Rishmuel Bar Yitzchak right away, some actually bring a contradiction and then bring Rishmuel Bar Yitzchak. I mean, again, the Mishnah said, according to the Mishnah, if a woman is taken captive for monetary laws, they will not touch her. Then Rishmuel Bar Yitzchak said, well, that's only true if the Jews are in charge. If the Goyim are in charge, they will touch her. And then this led to this whole discussion over here where they did touch her and it's collateral, blah, blah, blah. So some have a different version. Some have the Mishnah that just says they won't touch her if, it's, if she's taken for money. They're going to now bring a kasha, because this case, they definitely would be concerned that she would be violated, if not for the witnesses. And the Gemara is going to answer, uh, there's a difference between Jews being in charge and Goyim being in charge. So it's the same It's the same information, just instead of it being listed, it's kasha answer form. Okay. Ika de Rami Lamirma, some have a contradiction. Tanan, it says in the Mishnah, that if a woman is taken captive, you could assume that she's not going to be violated or uh, for money. Meaning, if she's taking capital for money for ransom, she's not going to be violated. Or many, I have a contradiction. Here, of Yosi, this entire this entire case. Now, in this case, if not for the witnesses, we would actually assume she would be violated. I over here, she was taken for money. Time of the the meeting, or ain't the noisa loy. So it's a contradiction. So the answer is there's a difference between Goyim being in charge or Jews being in charge. If the Jews are in charge, they won't touch her for when it's money related. If the Goyim are in charge, they will. Same exact concept, but instead of uh, just listing the halachas, it's a kasha answer form. Okay. Now, the Mishnah then said that if a woman is taken for life and death, she will be violated because the Goyim are not afraid of hurting her. What does it mean, life and death? So you'll say, well, she did something that's worth capital punishment. That's true, but they want to bring a a more simple 
uh, case of it. The Gemara says, It's the wife of thieves. Apparently, under the law of the Goyim at the time, the husbands would be hung, and the wives, the, 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 the Goyim would say, do whatever you want to them. So when it says, if they were taken captive for life or death, it means their husbands were thieves, and their husbands were captured and killed. And that would make it that the wives are are the 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 the, the Goyim don't care about the wife of the 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 life of the wives, and we assume the wives were violent and therefore they're puzzled. Levi Omar he says another variation Ishtishel ben du, ben Dunai, an example would be the wife of Ben Dunai. Ben Dunai wasn't a thief; he was a murderer. So the wife of murderers. They would capture the murderer, kill the murderer, and they would say the wife, uh, the, the no laws to do whatever you want, and therefore you could assume that she was uh, violated in Paslakahuna. Chizka says it's only true if their husband were actually found guilty in court. It's not just that the husband were known to be thieves or captured, it has to be that in court they were given uh, you know, the, the guilty verdict. Rav Yechonon and Rav Yechonon says even if there was was no guilty verdict, the very fact that the husbands were captured as thieves meant that the the government didn't care about the wives protecting the wives at all. Okay, fine. Now the Mishnah is dealing with it's a it's a continuation of this, and it's dealing with the halachas of an invading army. This is not good times to be alive in these times. Um, if you have an invading army that comes into the town, all wives of Kahanim are apostle. Because once there is an invading uh, army that enters the town, we assume that they would violate all the women, and therefore, or at least it's enough of a doubt, it's not that we know, but it's enough of a doubt that they, they're not allowed to be with their husbands anymore. But if there are witnesses that testify that they were not harmed, they were not raped, then the halacha is afil ever, afil shivcha. Even a slave or even a slave woman, meaning they don't have to be kosher edim. Any person can testify, they'll be testified that the women are pure. Now that's an example of chazal being lenient in this scenario because they are posleidas, so it should be that they cannot testify. But in order to protect these women, Chazal were, uh, were, were leaning to accept the testimony of anybody. But a woman can't testify about herself. Meaning if a woman claims that she was not uh, harmed, that's not going to be good enough. But we will accept the testimony of any uh, of any people. Even a slave, even a, a shivcha in heaven. Fine. So, the, this sugi is a sugi in Avodah Zara. The Gemara says like this, the kasha is, um, we're saying that if an invading army comes into the town, all the women are posle kahuna because the men, the soldiers will attack her. Here's the problem. The problem is that when it comes to the laws of wine, we know that if wine is touched by a guy, it's aser bahana, because we're afraid the guy did avodazara. They uh, served their idols. They poured it libation. They shook it for libation, whatever they did. The halacha is that if an invading army comes into the town, during wartime, all the wine is okay, because we assume they're so preoccupied with war, they're not thinking about wine. So the question is, 
if we're saying that during wartime they're preoccupied, that they're not thinking about wine, why are all the women usher? Why don't we say the same thing? They're so preoccupied with war, they're not thinking about women. And the Gemara's first answer is going to be that there's a difference. Uh, men always think about women. And the, the wine, they may not have time for, but, uh, but uh, the Yetzirah of, of, of Gilarai is that even during wartime they'll think about it. Let's see it inside. Or many have a contradiction. A troop that comes to a town, if they're coming during peacetime, meaning they're an outside, they're an outside soldiers, but it's technically during peace, which you had right after World War II. Right? You have, let's say, like the U.S. Army, is you'll have them stationed in a certain area. So it's during peacetime. So then the halacha is like this. All barrels of wine that are open are oser, because we assume the soldiers will touch open barrels. But stumais mutaris, sealed barrels are okay because they're not going to open up barrels during peacetime because that would upset the people. They're not going to do that. So if the barrels are sealed, sealed, it's fine. But if it's open, it's a problem. And then the Braissa says, But during wartime, all barrels are okay, both open and sealed, because even open barrels, they don't have a head. They're not thinking about wine. They're too busy with war. There's no time to do libations. So the question is, why does our Mishnah say that soldiers that come in during war, all the women are us, I thought they don't have time to think about wine, so Mastama, they don't have time to think about women. And the answer is, Amrav Mari, live all yesh p'nai, There's no time for wine, but there's time for women. Okay, that's the first answer. Rav Yitzchik ben Allah, Mishnah, the Chizki, a different answer. Kan bekarakum shaloysam alchus, he has a different answer. And he says, it never says which army. Right? It just says during war. Right? You could have, during war, let's say America is fighting with Canada. Yeah? Pick an example of something that's not going to happen. And then the, the Mishnah said that if invading soldiers come in, it affects the women. I, but does infect wine. So it's a contradiction. So one answer is that wine and women are different. But let's assume they're the same. One answer is, this answer of Chizkiah is that it never said which, which army, meaning if it's an invading army during wartime, you could have soldiers that are enemy soldiers. Enemy soldiers will attack women, they'll touch wine. All going to be off limits. When does it say that it's okay, meaning both wine and women are okay? That's when it's soldiers of your own country. Meaning, there's, there could be Canadian soldiers in America, which are enemy soldiers, or you could have the American army. The American army in America, that we assume they won't touch wine, and they won't touch women either. Okay, so when the Mishnah said that it's a problem that was talking about enemy women, enemy soldiers, and when, it's, when it implies from wine that it's going to be okay, that's talking about soldiers of your own country. The Gemara says, meaning, and the Rashi explains, that when it's the soldiers of your own country, Americans don't want to hurt Americans. So therefore, they, we assume they're not going to touch. Now the Gemara says, wait a minute, even I'm, I'm picking America, I don't mean to imply anything, I, I could pick Turkish, let's pick Turkish, okay? So the Turks, the Turkish army is fighting whichever country is near Turkey, I don't know, Iraq, let's say, I, I have no idea. So let's say the, the Turkey, the Tur- whatever, Iraq and Iran, let's go with that, I know they're near each other. So you have one Mishnah that implies you're in Iraq, so one Mishnah implies the women of Iraq are a problem, one Mishnah implies the wine of Iraq is not a problem, and we're assuming women and wine are the same. So the answer is, it depends. When it's the Iranian soldiers in Iraq, that's an enemy army, they'll, they'll, 
they'll spoil the wine and they'll they'll touch the women. But when it's Iraqi soldiers in Iraq during wartime, they won't touch wine and they won't touch the women. So the Gemara says, Even, so you have to be worried because I don't want this recording to go out and make it sound like a, you know, American rabbi blasts American soldiers, God forbid. But the Kasha is like this, even during, even an army of your own country, the Iraq army in Iraq, even if we assume that they wouldn't want to harm their own people, there could be one soldier that will do it. Meaning, well, it, it, you know, it's not like, how do you have control? Yes, I, I get it. On a larger scale, the army of that own country will not harm their own people, but there are going to be soldiers that don't care. And it is during wartime. So like, why why aren't you concerned about that? So the answer is, we're talking about a case where there are guards. Meaning, all the soldiers, the, the guard posts of the soldiers can see each other. So we assume that if one soldier acts inappropriately, the other soldiers will intervene. So the Gemara says, but What about when it's nighttime? There's got to be some guards that are going to be sleeping, and, and why aren't you afraid that during nighttime, one soldier is going to slip out and, and, and start hurting people and, and, and touching wine and all that stuff? So Amr of Levi it's a case where they surround the city with chains, dogs, spikes, and geese. Meaning, there are um, alarm systems to protect from soldiers. So the only time it's okay is if it's wartime of your own country, meaning your own soldiers, with guards, with spikes, with geese, because geese will make noise if people come close, and dogs and spikes and chains. Okay, fine. So even having your own soldiers is not enough. You need your own soldiers with guards, with geese, with spikes, with chains, with dogs. So the Gemara actually says, Amrav Abba Bar Zabda, Pligi Bar Rav Yehuda Nesiya Barabon. It's actually Machlaikis. Chad Amr, One opinion actually felt that if it's with your own soldiers, meaning the Iraqi soldiers in Iraq, we're not concerned about wine, we're not concerned about women, you don't need geese, you don't need... One One. One Tana did not add those um, qualifications. And one Tana was bothered by that, that he said, even the soldiers of that location, you need guards, you need geese, you need dogs, you need chains. Um... Okay, so it's a machlekes of whether that's necessary. Okay, now we said in the Mishnah that if an army, enemy army enters a town, all the women in that town are going to be pasal kahuna. Says the Gemara, Amr of Idi bar Ovin, Amr of Yitzchak bar Ashiyin, em yesham machbuachas, matzelos kol kulon. If there's one hiding place in the city, then all the women are protected. Meaning, as long as there's a way for them to have hid, hidden, whatever the past tense of hidden is, hidden, as long as there was a place for them to hide, then all the women are going to be kosher. Okay? Meaning, if there was an underground tunnel, then all the women are going to be okay, because you could assume that those women went in the underground tunnels. Which I would assume, again, these are the areas where I'm not, I'm not familiar with, I'm, I'm not uh, well-versed enough, I would assume this would be the heter for the women during the Holocaust. Right? All the women in the Holocaust, we don't say that every woman that went through the Holocaust is Pasal Kuna. The answer is there were hiding spots. And therefore, each woman, you could assume, was hiding. 
Now here's the kasha. What if there is a hiding spot in the city, but it only was big enough for one woman? There was one spot, there was one like, you know, underground bunker that had room for one woman. Is that enough to protect each woman? Could we assume that each woman went in that bunker? Or do we say we can't give that heter to every woman because once you're giving that heter to multiple women, it doesn't make sense. Meaning each woman on their own... It's like this, like if each woman comes in on their own, we could assume each individual woman, we could assume, hid in that hiding place. But once like two women come to us at the same time, like you can't give that heter to both. So do you give that heter to each individual woman or do you say no, once that heter cannot be applied to multiple women, then you can't give it to multiple women. That's the Gemara Shaila. So, So that's the Kasha, meaning it's an interesting Kasha because if you look at each individual woman that comes in individually, like let's say like the rabbi's in a room and each woman is lined up and each one comes in and he says, well, you know, am I Paslakuna? Each one you could say, well, there was a hiding spot for one woman, so it's mutter. But if you look at it as a vacuum, you gave that heter to a hundred women when only one of them could hide, could, could fit there. So it, it, do you look at it as individual? Do you look at it as like a global shaila? So the Gemara says, well, I have a similar scenario. The scenario is as follows. I think we've had this. I think, I don't know why. I feel like, Baruch Hashem, we've been doing Dafyomi for almost three years now. I feel like we've had this Shiloh already. This is, uh, I don't know. It's a Psachim. Okay, Psachim Dafyot. That's where we had it. So, the Shiloh is like this. You have two paths in front of you. One path is Tame, one path is Tahar. A person went through one of the paths and dealt with, you know, truma, kachin, whatever. And he doesn't know which path he went to. Now his friend, you have two guys, there's two paths. One's Tommy, one's Tahar. You have Reuben and Shimon. Reuben and Shimon both went on paths, different paths. They both don't remember which path they went to. They both handled truma and kachin, whatever. So one of them is definitely Tame. So the question is, how do we paskin? You see, each one on its own might have gone in the heter path, but it's impossible for both of them to be motor. You understand? Both of them went on different paths. So there's two highways. One's Tame, one's Tahar. Two Jews. Each one went on a different path. So one of them went on the Tame path. They just don't know which one. So if Yehuda Oimer, initial Review this as very simple. If each one asks individually, then it's fine because each one comes in and says, Am I Tahar? Yeah, Safik Tahar. It's fine. Next one comes in, Am I Tame? No, Safik Tahar. But Shneim Vasachas, but if they both come in at the same time, Tame, why? Because if they both come in at the same time, they have to both be Tame because it's impo- you can't give a heter at the same time. It's That would be a joke. Rav Yossi Omer, and Rav Yossi says, No, both are Tame. In both cases, are Tame. Why? You can't give a heter to each one when you know one of them is Tame, meaning there's only one path that was Tahar. They went on different paths. So by definition, one of them is Tame because you don't know which one. We're just going to, you can't give them both a heter because that's an impossibility. But Amar Rava, now Rava qualifies. When is the Machlokas? If Reuben and Shimon both come in and ask a Rav at the same time, what was my status? 
then if they both come in at the same time, everyone agrees they're tame. You can't give a heter when they're both coming in at the same time. That, that's Pasha. Bezach is uh, if they both come in at different times, meaning Reuven goes into the room, asks the Shaila, leaves. Shimon goes into the room, asks the Shaila, leaves. They both agree that it's going to be Tahar. Because each one is asking individually, and each one individually could be Tahar. The Shaila is, What's the Machlaikas? Reuven comes in and says, What's my halacha and Shimon's halacha? Meaning Reuven and Shimon, then if they come in at the same time, they're both Tahar. If they come in individually, they're both Tahar. The case is where Reuven goes in, but he says, What's mine and Shimon's status? That's the Machlaikas. Meaning, so over here, Hachanami, Kivan the Dami. Why is it that according to Rav Yossi, when Reuben goes in and he says, "Hey, what's mine and Shimon's status?" Rav Yossi says it's a problem. Why? Because you you can't you you're, you, you can't give a hetter to both. It's impossible. So too over here, when you're giving a hetter to all the women in the city because of one bunger, you're in essence sort of answering a shiloh for all of them. Meaning, according to Rav Yossi, when Reuben comes in and he says, what's my halachic status and Shimon's halachic status, because he's asking for both, it's going to be tummy. It has to be tummy. You can't give a heter, because you're, you're, you're heter, you're, you're passing for both people, and by definition, both people, one of them is tummy, therefore it's going to be tummy. So to over here, you're giving a heter to the entire city. It's not like the women are coming up. You're, they're not like walking one-on-one. You're giving a heter to the city, and you're saying, all the women in the city are tar. Because it was a hiding spot for one person. You're in essence, it's like each woman is coming in what's, and, and saying, what's my halacha? What's everyone's halacha? You can't do that. So according to Rav Yossi, why by the case of Tum and Tahara? Do we say that if you're asking for multiple people, it's Tameh? Over here, all the women are asking for the status of all the women. And there's only one hiding spot. It should be a problem. So the Gemara says, Hachi hashta, hasam vadiya the Gemara says very simple. Over there, in the case of the people walking on the on the road, there was Tuma 100% on one of the roads, which means one of them is 100% Tameh. Therefore, if Reuven or Shimon, one of them is 100% Tameh, so if Reuven asks, what's mine and Shimon's status, one of them is for sure Tameh. Over here, you're talking about an invading army. We don't know that they violated the women. We think so. We're concerned about it, but we don't know for 100% certainty. Because we don't know for 100% certainty, we'll be lenient as long as there is a hiding spot that fits one woman that will say each woman went into the hiding spot. I, it's impossible to give that hatchet to the entire city because it's impossible for all of them to be in the hiding spot at once. The answer is, this is a concern. It's a suffolk. It's not a vadai. It's because it's a concern, we'll be lenient. Okay. Boy Ravashi, we'll end uh, the end of this Ahmed, Ravashi has a kasha. Again, you have the Psak was that there's a hiding spot that fits one woman. Every woman in the city is gonna be fine because we're gonna assume each one was in the hiding spot. The kasha is a woman comes forward and says, Loinikbesi. She says, I didn't hide, but but I was not violated. So it's like it's like a Migu. She could have just said she hid. If she wanted to get, if she wanted to, 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 you know, just to get ahead, so she could have said that she hid, and that's an option. But she didn't do that. She said, "I did not hide, but I was not violated." So the question is, do we say that? Me, I'm reading. Go to the next page. Mali Do we say that? Why would she lie? If she wanted to lie, 
Right, she's saying that she wasn't violated. Do we say that she's lying? Well, if she wanted to lie, she could have just said she hid. The fact that she said she didn't hide, but she wasn't violated, that means that she's telling the truth. Perhaps no. Once she says she didn't hide, that's it. We're not going to accept it, and therefore it's a problem. That's the question. So the Gemara says, I mean, basically, in this case, do we say, why would she lie? And we'll just accept what she's saying. Now, the Gemara brings a raya. I'll bring a story with the following person. There was a person, he rented a donkey from his friend. So Reuben rents a donkey from Shimon. So Shimon, the owner of the donkey, says to Reuben, Do not go by the Pekod River, because the Pekod River has a lot of water, and I'm afraid the donkey will drown. So it might sweep the donkey away. So do not go by the Pekod River. Okay, fair enough. And by the way, if you rent a donkey, so if an ones happens, you're exempt. A socher is exempt from an ones. But if the guy's posheya, if the guy's negligent, then he's going to be obviously obligated. So if he were to take this animal in an area where the owner, you know, the owner said don't go there because the animal could drown and he would go against the wishes and the animal drowns, that's for sure going to be an obligation on his part. The owner said don't go by the Pakod River Road, go by the Nerish Road where there's no water. Okay, fine. Now he happened to go by the Pakod River where he was not supposed to go and the, and the donkey died. Now, he came before Rava and he says like this, In I did go by the Pakod River. I did. But, there was no water there. Meaning the donkey died from uh, old age. I, I don't have to pay. Meaning I did take him by the Pakod River. But that's not why he died. He didn't die because of uh, 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 being swept away. He died because of exhaustion. So the question is, do we accept his arguments? So Rava said the same thing. If he wanted to lie, he could have just said that he didn't take him by the Pakod River. He could have said that he took him by the Nerish Road. The fact that he's saying he went to the Pakod River, but there was no water there, that we should believe him. So to over here, So that was Rava's take, which is very similar to what we're saying about the woman. But Abayah says, We don't say this reasoning of why would they lie when they're witnesses. Meaning, over here, there aren't actual witnesses that there was water there, but we know the Pakod River has water there. If you say that there, you went by the Pakod River, we don't believe you to say that there was no water there. So this argument of Mali Lashakir, why would someone lie, it doesn't work when there's reason to assume that they're not telling the truth. So to over here, when the woman says, meaning, the argument was, the guy said, I went to the Pakod River, but there was no water there. Abaya says, no good. Once you say you went to the Pakod River, I don't believe you there's no water. I go with statistics. Statistics is that there's water there. I, if you wanted to lie, you could have just said you didn't go there. You went to the Nerish Road. I don't care. Once you tell me you went to the Pakod River, I, I, I'm not. I'm going to go with what you said. And I, what I believe is that there was water there. So to over here, when this woman says she didn't hide, but she wasn't violated, yeah, she could have just got out of it and said that she hid, but she didn't. And she said she didn't hide. Once she said she doesn't hide, then to say that she's not violated, she shouldn't be believed. Because statistically she was. So the Gemara is paralleling the two. So the Gemara says, no, Hachi Hashdam. The answer is over there. The Pekod River 
it's not just like maybe there's water. There's always water there. The likelihood is it's not just like like it's it's we're for sure positive there's water. Therefore, once a person says that they took the animal by the Pakod River, then I don't care that they could have lied. Once you say that the Pakod River, we assume the animal got swept away and it was negligence, and you have to pay. Over here, though, just because an army comes in does not mean that we're confident that she was violated. It's a possibility. Therefore, because it's just a possibility, if she could have argued something else, we'll accept the other arguments. Basically, uh, once a woman, in the case of the Pakod River, the likelihood, once you say you went to the Pakod River, then the likelihood of you being swept away by water is incredibly high. The case of the of the, the, the soldiers coming in and violating women, it's not a high probability. It's enough probability that we'll be concerned about it, but we will also take in the, the, the thought of Malashaka, why would she lie? And therefore, in this case, because she could have said she hid, but she didn't, we'll accept what she said. Now, okay, let's call it a bit. It's a long day after. The Mishnah said that we'll accept the testimony to say that she was not violated, uh, from anybody, even a slave woman. And the Gemara says, even her own slave woman is believed, meaning even though you might think that her own slave woman uh, would would lie on her half because she has a relationship with her. No, we believe what she's telling. She won't lie for her. And if she says that she was not violated, we accept it. Or many, I have a contradiction. This Mishnah is a Mishnah in Gitin. It's talking about a case where a man who's who has no children and he's dying he gives his wife again, and he says that from the moment I die, it should it should be work retroactively. And because he could die any minute, that means that retroactively they could be divorced right now. So because it's a possibility they could be divorced, the halacha is they're not allowed to seclude with each other. Because if a husband and wife seclude with each other after the get is given, it disqualifies the get. It's a whole sugi. It's called the get yasha. So therefore, basically, these this couple cannot seclude. And if they do, it's a problem because we assume that they live together. So says the Mishnah, this husband and wife cannot seclude with each other after he gives her the get. Unless there are witnesses that testify that they did not actually have relations. Okay? And the witnesses that testify that they did not live together can even be a slave or a shivcha. Except for her slave. Why? Because they're very close with each other, and we assume that the slave woman will um, not be truthful for her master. So the question is, why by Gittin will do we not accept the testimony of her slave woman to say that she was present, that they didn't live together? But over here we do accept the slave woman's testimony that she was not violated. What's the difference? If she'll if she'll lie, she'll lie. If she's not gonna lie, she's not gonna lie. So the Gemara answers, I'm Rav Papi, Rav Papi says, normally we do not accept a slave, her slave woman, her slave's testimony, because we assume she would lie. But over here, regarding um, captures, meaning the concern that a woman is violated, and uh, that concept of Shvuya, of, of soldiers, of non-Jews violating women, we want to be lenient on the Jewish women to protect them, and therefore we'll accept testimony of anyone, even her slave. Okay, that's the first answer. Rav Papa Amar, Rav Papa has a different answer, and he says, a sla- her slave is taken not accepted. His slave is accepted, meaning, in both this Mishnah and in Gittin, we will not accept her slave, because her slave will lie for her, because they're very close. His slave, meaning the husband's slave, we will accept testimony in both, because he, the husband's slave doesn't care about the wife as much. Okay. And now we're saying, according to Rav Papa, we'll accept 
his slave, but not her slave. Her slave is out. But wait a minute. The Mishnah says that a woman can't testify about herself that she was not violated by Goyish soldiers. The implication is that everyone else can testify, even her slave. So if Papa says her slave is out, but the implication is that her slave could testify. When the Mishnah says that she can't testify about herself, it includes her slave. Her also slave can also cannot testify about herself. Her slave and her are considered one unit. Ravashi Omar, a different answer. Ravashi says no. The answer is, go back to the Kasha. The Kasha is, our Mishnah implies that her slave can testify that she was not violated because she wouldn't lie. But her slave cannot testify that she was present in the case of the husband and wife who gave a get to each other. The husband gave her a get. Her slave cannot testify that she was present because, meaning to say, and, and, and therefore we would assume that they didn't live together, because she'll probably lie. So even if she wasn't present, she, she'll, she'll lie. So the question is, will her slave lie to protect her or not? So Ravashi answers like this, The answer is like this, her slave will not outright lie, but she will bend the truth. In the case of Gittin, the slave woman doesn't need to say that she saw them that they didn't live together. Because that's an outright lie. That she won't do. But what she will do is she'll say she was present in the house. That type of lie, you see, in that case, all she has to do is say she was present and we'll assume they didn't live together and that will benefit the woman. That much she'll lie. But in this case, for her to outright say she was not violated, to outright lie like that, that she's not going to do. Now, Meaning, she'll withhold information, but she won't outright lie. See, over there, she's saying she was present. She didn't say whether they lived together or not lived together. Uh, the Rabbana are going to figure out, well, if she was present, they probably didn't live together. That's withholding information. That, that much she'll do. But to outright lie, she's not going to do. Hashanami asi mishikara. The Gemara says, wait a minute. Why wouldn't she outright lie? Once she's willing to withhold information, wouldn't she be willing to lie as well? The answer is like, tarti layovda. The answer is no. Oh, she'll she'll withhold information, meaning she'll say partial truth, partial not truth. So she'll say, let's say in the case of Gittin, right, to protect, the woman wants to have testimony that she and her husband did not live together. This slave woman will say she was present. Now, she won't say, she's not saying that they lived together. She's not saying they didn't live together. She's not going to outright lie. She's going to say she was present, which she probably was. That much she'll do. But to outright lie and say, like in this case, to say she was not violated when she was, that she's not going to do. Therefore, we'll accept her testimony here, but not in Gittin. The Gemara says, how do I know that a person will sort of withhold information, but not outright lie? Kihadim Mari Barisik, the following story. Mari Barisik was a person who was a very, very wealthy, intimidating guy. Barmi Lechana Barisik, and some say it was Chana Barisik, okay, whoever this was. Apparently, this Mari Barisik had a brother, who the brother was taken away when he was a kid. They moved, same father, but I guess the kid, uh, I don't know, the, the kid was taken away when he was younger. Um, maybe sent away to different schools, whatever it was. They didn't have a relationship. And this kid shows up years later asking for a share in the father's inheritance. Now, the son shows up, let's say, 20 years later. He hasn't seen, the, the brothers haven't seen each other 20 years. And he says, hey, I'm your brother, and I want to share in the inheritance. So, he says, I don't know who you are. 
Also, the commentary of Chizda, they ask of Chizda, what's the halacha? So, Amrle, Shabbat Kamrle, he says, well, this Mari guy who doesn't recognize the brother, it's fair. Why? We find that the brothers didn't recognize Yosef because he left without a beard, he came back with a beard. Meaning, so the fact that Mari doesn't recognize the brother is fair. The brother hasn't been around in 30 years. Taka doesn't recognize him. So Amrle, so Chizda says to the brother, Zil you want to collect money, prove, bring te- witnesses that you're the brother. So Amrle, Isli Sadam he says, I have witnesses but they're afraid to testify. They don't want to testify. They're willing to withhold information because the Gavra Alamahu, this Mari is intimidating and they're afraid of getting on his bad side. So Chizda then turns to Mari, the intimidating guy. So he says, bring witnesses that he's not your brother. Meaning you're right. The, other, the, 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 the brother can't bring witnesses because they're not willing to testify. So he turns to, to Mari, the intimidating guy who has the money. He says, listen, He's going to get part of the inheritance unless you bring witnesses that he's not the brother. So Amalei, do you know halachi? Mari says, I don't understand. The rule is which means the one who has the money is not, the burden of guilt is not on him. So Mari has the money. So why does Mari have to bring witnesses that the brother is not the brother? The brother should have to bring witnesses that he is the brother. So Amalei said to Mari, he says, you're right, in general, you won't have to, the, the burden of guilt is, is not on you, but because you're the intimidating one, and you're scaring away the witnesses, and you've done things to scare away witnesses, it, it's on you. So meaning, Hashanami, now what's the point of all this? Hashanami, meaning even after Mari brings witnesses, Asi Meshachri, meaning Mari is scaring witnesses to the point where they'll withhold information. Right, you have witnesses who have information, they won't testify in front of Mari. But now Mari is going to bring witnesses. The question is, why aren't we concerned that Mari's witnesses are going to lie for him? If people are willing to withhold information from Mari, wouldn't people be willing to lie from Mari? And the answer is, tired to lay off. The answer is no. There's a difference between withholding information and lying. People will withhold information quicker than they'll lie. So to over here, the, the slave woman will withhold information for her, her master, but she will not lie for her master. Okay, we, it turns out it's a machleikas, tanoyim. It turns out that... With all the opinions of Rav Papi and Rav Papa, Rav Papi and Rav Papa, there's a the way Rashi s- describes it. Lemekitanoi. We want to say that it's a machlekes whether uh, a, a person's uh, the woman slave woman is going to be believed. The Gemara says Lemekitanoi. I think it's the following machlekes tanoim. How so? Um, I lost my place. Oh, the Brisa says Zu edus. This testimony of about a woman that she was not molested, that she was not uh, violated by the soldiers, who could testify? Ish, Isha, every man, every woman, Tinek, Tinokis, children, Avia, Ima, Acheha, Achosa, her father, her mother, her brother, her sister. Who cannot testify? Lobina, not her son, Bita, her daughter, Lo Avda Vishapasa, and not her slave woman. So this Brysa clearly says her slave woman cannot testify. But another Brysa says, The other Brysa says, Everyone could testify except for her, meaning her slave woman could testify. So one Brysa says she cannot, one Brysa says she could. So it seems to be a machlokas tanoi. So the Gemara says, Dear Rav Papi, Dear Rav Ashi, Rav Papi and Rav Ashi, Rashi says, Rav Papi and Rav Ashi, who hold that her slave woman could testify, definitely Tanoi. They definitely feel it's a Machlekes Tanoi, because one Brisa outright says, 
a slave woman cannot. They feel that a slave woman could. So they definitely will say it's a Mahalikas Hanoi. There of Papa, but of Papa who says that a slave woman cannot testify. And the Brisa says a slave woman cannot testify. He says it's not a machlekes tanoim. How so? Mile matanoihi. Rav Papa feels a slave woman cannot testify. The first Brisa says a slave woman cannot testify. So far, so good. The problem is the second Brisa. Second Brisa says that the only one who cannot testify is her, which implies everyone else could, including a slave woman. So how does Rav Papa get away with that? He says it's not a machlekes tanoim. What does he say? The Gemara says. He says, Rav Papa says like this, really, what I'm saying is correct, and it's universally accepted that a slave woman cannot testify about her master. That's what the first b'risa says. I, the second b'risa, implies that he could. Says Rav Papa, the second b'risa, which implies that she could, is only talking about Masih Lefituma. Masih Lefituma, which we had uh, yesterday, I think yesterday, two days ago, Masih Lefituma means a person testifies that, but not in court, they're just schmoozing. You don't, they don't even know that, that people are relying on them. Uh, when you're talking like casually, there's more of a reason to assume that you're telling the truth. Because you don't even know that people are like relying on you. So says her papa, normally her shivcha cannot testify. And that's what the Brisa says. I, the Brisa, the second Brisa says is, as she could. It's not a machalik istanoim. The second Brisa is talking about Mesich Fituma. If the slave woman mentions casually that she was not violated, we'll accept it. But as Edus, it's universally accepted that she cannot testify. How do I know that Mesich Fituma works in this context? The Chiyasa Rav Dimi Rav Chana Kartiginoi Mishtoi Rav Chana Kartiginoi related Maisebal of Nei Rishu Ben Levi. The story goes in front of Rishu Ben Levi. Ba'amar Lo Rishu Ben Levi Mishtoi Maisebal of Nei Rabbi, and some say he was in front of Rabbi. Ba'adam Echad Shehei Mesich Fituma. There was a certain person who was just talking casually, not as a testimony, just talking. Ba'amar Ani Ve'Imin Ish Basi Ben Oved Kacham. He said. Um, my mother and I were taken captive amongst the Goyim. But the person said, whenever I, when I was always watching my mother, whenever, even when I had to get cut wood, get water, I was always watching my mother to make sure that they didn't violate her. Now, he wasn't saying this at Edus. Now, this is a son. A son cannot testify about the mother that she was, uh, that she is still Kashal Kuhuna. But, because it was Mesiyah Vituma Hesia Rabbi Lakun Apir, Rabbi accepted, uh, allowed her to marry a Kayan based on this, because of Mesiyah Vituma. So Rabbi says, you see, Mesiyah Vituma is more accepted than any other Eidos. Let's just do the mission that we'll stop. Amr Bzachari Ben Akatsev, Bzachari Ben Akatsev said, regarding um, his wife who went to, uh, she was she was captured, I guess, during the Churman. Hamon Hazeh, I swear by this place, that her hand never left my hand, meaning I watched her every single moment. She was not violated, and therefore she's still kashal From the moment the guy came into Shalim until they left, I can confirm she was not violated. They said to him, You cannot testify about yourself, meaning the same way a woman can't testify about herself, a husband can't testify about her either, and therefore you're going to have to bring someone else to testify on your behalf. All right, we'll stop here.